0: Hi, I'm Ross Porter, and welcome to Stranded, CDs for a desert island.
1: Hands down, my favorite CD of all time would have to be Live at the Village Vanguard by Bill Evans.
0: Well, for sure, Giant Steps by John Coltrane. Joni Mitchell. One would have to be the essential Billie Holiday. Duke Ellington. Kind of Blue. Sticky Fingers. Beatles. The Who. Todd Runyon. Oscar Peters. Dave Brubeck. Songs in the Cave of Life. If you were marooned on a remote island, with no prospect of returning home, which CDs would you want to have to help pass the time? For most music fans, it's a difficult question. But what if you're a musician? Hmm, the prospects could be even more challenging. This edition of Stranded that you're about to hear is based on an interview that was done in September of 1998. John Schofield, he's a trailblazer of 80s fusion, a constant poll winner, band leader, and major player on the jazz scene for the last 10 years. His most recent CD, O'GoGo, has been on the jazz charts for months. Now, many think of John as a guitar god. When we spoke, he explained his first desire to play came when he was just 11.
1: I remember when I wanted to get a guitar, in the three weeks or something that it took me to convince my mother to rent one from the guitar store, I was so into it, I was looking at guitar players on... TV and thinking, this is going to be great. When I get that guitar at home, I'm going to just wail. And then when I got it, you know, it it was impossible to play, you know, because I didn't know how to play it. And uh, that was a a rude awakening. And that did take a little bit of the, um, you know, the fun out of it having to work. But that was quickly replaced by, uh, you know, this uh, obsession with uh, music and trying to figure it out. We're going to get to your
0: Desert Island picks later in the uh, program, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to start with a a track from uh, your album, A Go-Go. So here's John Schofield and Hot and Todd. John Schofield man, Hot and Tot—that's a track from his album a Go-Go. It's a great groove happening.
1: Yeah, this one I think we really got it. Uh, this record was easy to make and fun to make, and the groove was there from the beginning, which, which made it made it all uh, happen. You're backed on this.
0: We should mention by Medeski, mm-hmm. Martin and Wood. Yes. Now, what were the circumstances that you uh, that you got together with these guys?
1: Well, I um. I live in New York, and so do they, and, and I was aware of their music. I heard their last record, which uh, I really realized that we were moving in similar paths, that they were playing this kind of funk kind of music, but really loose, you know, and so it could take it out, and uh, that's what I like to do, too, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, it was really jazz rock, and nobody's... People gave up on that stuff, you know, And um, and uh, and... There's a new generation of people that are are uh, into it, and uh, I knew I could play with them. So uh, I called them up. They were living on the road at the time. They didn't have apartments in New York. The only number to call was their fan number, which is their little, If they had a little tape that came on. If you want to leave a message for Esky, Martin, and Wood, do so after the tone. We'll see you later. And then had their, like, uh, you know, thing. And so I left a message, and then they called back like three weeks later. They thought it was one of their friends Making a joke that they wouldn't—that wouldn't be me calling them on the fan line, you know. And then, uh, and then I said, "No, this is really me." And I wanted to get together with you guys. And they—and they were, uh, "Oh, really?" And uh, and uh, so we—we—we we, we got together from that. But it was—it was funny. What was the uh, the first record you bought? First record I bought. Damn. I mean, I think I bought records, you know, whole forty-fives when I was. Um, hmm. <sighs> I can almost oh I know this is embarrassing Ross it was the one-eyed one-horned one-eyed one-toed one-eyed one-horned flying purple people eater you remember that you probably remember that <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah that's when I was you know six or something and uh, and I liked that song <laughs> but that doesn't have anything to do with me does it no well
0: no and then what happened after that
1: but well the, the next after one that, that when I when I started to really buy records. Were, was when I was eleven, you know, and, and uh, ten or eleven, I guess, and started to buy rock records, the Beatles, the Beach Boys at first, and uh, and then soul music was really big at the time, so I went head over heels for that stuff for for uh, for uh, Otis Redding and James Brown and Joe Tex and Wilson Pickett and the whole deal, you know, and I became a um, you know an R and B uh, fan as well as rock stuff. And where does Jimi Hendrix fit into this? Well, he he just he came up, you know, when was it? 1968, and I was into everything. And I remember specifically hearing his guitar playing on the radio for the first time. This is great that, that you're asking me this, because it's this tune, Fire. And I was, you know, lying in bed, and I had a little radio, you know, that I listened to when my parents made me go to sleep, you know, at, at 10 o'clock or whatever when you're in ninth grade. And I think it was eighth grade, maybe. Ninth grade. And, uh, and this song came over the radio, and the sound, you can hear it, the sound on his guitar was unlike anything else that had been on the radio. I mean, there was hints of that, and there was blues, and I knew about BB King and stuff, but nobody played it like this. This was like what Eric Clapton and those guys had been doing, only even more killing, and it, it got me pretty excited. Mm-hmm.
0: and that was Fire, and that was from the album Are You Experienced, one of the Desert Island picks by John Schofield.
1: Did you ever see him live? Yeah, at Hunter College in uh, New York City in a you know auditorium, and you know what? It was so happening that it made me give up playing rock and roll. I said, okay, because I, you know, I had already had a, an interest in jazz, and don't take this the wrong way, but it was so funky and so on and I said, you know, I can't do this kind of music. That's that's you know, he's done it so well. Maybe I can play jazz. Ha ha ha. You know, little did I know. <laughs> but uh, at that moment, that's what I thought. You know, I'm going to just become a jazz musician. This guy's too good at rock at, at blues. You know, I mean, he really he just he, he was phenomenal, and it uh, it was a wonderful thing. Just in this big room, you know, um, that Jimi Hendrix experience. The same group.
0: Is is the definition
1: jazz too limited I don't have a definition for it and nobody really has nailed it as far as I'm the word jazz is that too too limited I can't even get hung up in that because I love jazz you know and and uh, the people that say this is not jazz uh, when they're playing jazz <laughs> are wrong if I said a go-go is not jazz I'd be right and wrong you know I mean it's not straight ahead but without jazz there wouldn't be any music on that disc. Uh, we are we are jazz musicians relating to we're improvising and playing music and and blues and jazz are so related you know and uh, I don't even get into it Ross because it's a waste of time for me at this point what what any of it is. What's your uh, next desert island pick? Oh, I love love this record Bill Evans uh, an album called Alone and I it was really hard for me to pick up Bill Evans album because I love uh, his work but then I I, I just. Remember this album and this song, the way he plays, Here's That Rainy Day. I think for anybody to listen to uh, this who's you know not a jazz aficionado and wants to fall in love with some music, uh, this ought to do it. Here's Bill Evans, and this is from the album Alone. This
0: is Here's That Rainy Day. Bill Evans on piano and that was here's that rainy day. I'm Ross Porter. You're listening to Stranded CDs for a Desert Island, guitar virtuoso John Scofield's picks. <laughs> Miles Davis from the uh, 50s, and that was Serpent's Tooth. That comes from the uh, massive Prestige box set. Mm -hmm. Another one of John's
1: Desert Island picks. Yeah, it's hard to pick a Miles uh, track. Impossible to pick one, but um, this popped to mind because I heard it again recently. And, uh, you know, this is Miles when he was, quote-unquote, getting his stuff together. And Charlie Parker's on the record playing tenor saxophone, and Sonny Rollins is playing tenor. There's two tenors. Charlie Parker, as we know, was an alto saxophonist, um, and then Miles playing with his ex-boss. He had left uh, Bird's group, you know, and was making his own date. And Philly Joe Jones is on drums, and this is an early recording of Philly. And I forget who's on bass. Uh, I think oh, it's Walter Bishop Jr. on piano, a New York bebop legend. But man, Miles, you can hear Miles's style there. It was really all there, and uh, this kind of beat. This kind of beat, boy, this, the way that these men play is uh, special. How many years were you with Miles? I was with him for three years in his band. And what did you get out of that time? Um, you know, uh, I like to be with musicians that are from different generations for me because they, they're from other sources have made them. And Miles was uh, really from the jazz era. He grew up in the 30s, you know, and in the 40s when uh, that music was just so vital. And he swung, his very essence swung, you know. How did you find the balance
0: between playing what you thought he wanted and what you thought should
1: be played? Well, you know, he was pretty tough, you know. He, He definitely wanted his band to sound how he wanted it to sound like. So that was always there. But at the same time, you know... Luckily, I was a Miles Davis fanatic. I loved what he wanted to hear. You know what I mean? I trusted him because I I loved his music. Um, And if he didn't dig what I was playing, I would listen to him, you know. Uh, But mainly, he kind of left me alone, you know. He would just say, you know, I sounded good, or he'd be mad at me, and he'd do a, you know, he would do little mind games with us and say, I don't know, you didn't really sound, you didn't feel good tonight, did you? (laughs) And you're like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. But, uh... Yeah, he'd leave us alone, you know, because he knew what jazz was about. If anybody did, he did. Your next Desert Island pick. Ah, this Ornette Coleman record. I love Ornette, you know, especially his Atlantic records, uh, the records he made on Atlantic. And, uh, um, I, you know, because when I started listening to jazz... Uh, in the 60s I, Ornette was a name that I knew about and I went out and bought his record Shape of Jazz to Come and I thought it was normal jazz you know I thought they were just playing on changes or whatever you do you know the, like Charlie Parker I didn't know that it was free and uh, and that they were taking such incredible chances but uh, this is a great group Charlie Hayden and and uh, and Blackwell and Eddie Blackwell, Ed Blackwell on drums and Don Cherry on trumpet, and uh, this song is—it's like a bebop tune refracted through a, you know, a, a strange uh, mirror and coming out backwards. But at the time, I thought it was just bebop.
0: Here's Annette Coleman, and this is from the album *The Shape of Jazz to Come*. This is congeniality. <laughs> Charlie Parker. And Dewey squared that goes back to 1947, and it comes from a, a package called the Complete Dial Sessions. Mm-hmm. Why, Charlie?
1: Well, because uh, he might be my favorite improviser, uh, or maybe the greatest in a certain way. And you know, it's agreed that this was maybe his peak. This is the group with Miles and uh, um, and Max Roach, his working quintet. I love this song. This is a song I learned recently, Dewey Square. And uh, people used to think it was about Miles Davis, because Miles' middle name was Dewey. But then I was informed that Dewey Square is a square in Boston. And then I remembered it is, but it's not there anymore. It got covered up by the highway. But I remember there's this Dewey Square. It was a, a, it must have been a jazz club there. It's a great line. Charlie Parker, I mean, uh, listen to this, and and, uh, this stuff. Wow. You have kids, don't you? Yeah, I have a daughter 16 and a son 11. What do they have to do with your taste? Uh, How do they um, influence it? They influence it a lot now because uh, my daughter and my son now too are uh, are of the age where they're getting into music. So there's music around the house all the time, and I listen to what they're listening to, and uh, and my daughter is really into some stuff, you know. I mean, she brings home all these CDs. She plays guitar and sings, and and uh, you know, pretty much on a In an amateur way she's not trying to be a um a rock star although she might be and she just hasn't told me yet she hasn't admitted it um but she so all this stuff i I get to hear and it's really changed me it's gotten me back into uh being in touch with what's going on out there in the world rather than than just my own uh, artistic endeavors okay one more pick albert king uh this stuff tore me up uh um, I'm glad we got to play some blues. It was hard to pick a blues guy because I liked you know all the great guitars B.B. King, Albert King, Freddie King, the Three Kings. Freddie King is phenomenal. Um, but I had to pick this album something from Born Under a Bad Sign um, and I think this is a the greatest example of a blues musician being produced and, uh, and shined up a little bit for a record but in a completely you know sympathetic way but, uh, man, the way Albert plays. I think he, he actually did play four notes his entire life. And they were, each one, incredible. And he played them they were over the right and notes. over again, but he put them in at the right place. And he played backwards, upside down. So you can't bend notes like that on a regular guitar, you know. And, and uh, just his whole way of playing was unique. And he sang. And this is, I'm a crosscut saw. Let me drag it across your log. Oh, my God. I'll cut your wood so easy for you, you don't have to say hot dog.
0: Albert King and Crosscut Saw. And that's that was
1: obscene, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was your choice. Yeah, man. Hey,
0: uh-huh. I go, I'm going for the good stuff. That's from the album uh, Born Under the uh, Bad Sign. Uh, one last qu- question. Where do you find the balance between being a father, being a husband, and then having a career that makes these demands?
1: Uh, I'm looking. I'm searching, Ross. Um, but it's, uh, it's the only, you know, the, it's the way my kids have grown up. Uh, with me being gone, so when I am home, I think that that uh, you know i i'm i'm really there I, i'm 'm up with them in the morning, sending them off to school i 'm there when they get home and that 's for half half the year i 'm pretty much at home and it's it's just uh, uh a really strange way to to conduct a life um, and i 'm lucky that the people I live with uh put up with it you know John, thanks very much yeah. Thank
0: you. I'm Ross Porter. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Stranded.